All right, let's try it. Let's see who grew up in church. He is risen. He is risen there it is. Happy Easter to you. All right, we're going to let our life kids head out to their amazing class. Our youth are staying in with us today. If you have no idea why everyone just yelled, he is risen indeed at me, cool, welcome to Life Church. That's totally fine. We all belong. You don't have to know our script. It's, it's totally fine. We didn't make it up, actually. They've been saying that for years. I remember growing up in church, and Easter Sunday was the day in our Pentecostal church where we all had like this call and response moment. And it goes like this. I say, he is risen, and you say... Isn't that nice to say? It's just a good, uh, a good line that we have in the church where we remind ourselves why we are here. Not just on this Sunday, but every single day, why we are alive. And we don't just say alive in the flesh, we say alive in the spirit as well. Today is the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We call it Easter, we call it Resurrection Sunday. You know, on this side of the cross, every day should be a resurrection day in our lives. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of the cross. Did you know, by the way, uh, my name is Tim. Hi, nice to meet you if you're a guest with us today. Uh, but did you know that the Easter story is not simply about the events of a single day? In fact, did you know that Easter, the Easter story, extends years Hundreds of years, in fact, into the past, even before the, the first Resurrection Sunday, even before Easter. That text that Pastor Mark read to us was written as a prophecy about Jesus about 700 years before the first Resurrection Sunday. 700 years in advance, God was letting us know, guys, Easter, resurrection, life eternal, that's my plan. 700 years before Jesus died. By the way, that Isaiah was the same man who wrote about the birth of Jesus. He says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government of his will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We've been talking about peace for the last several weeks. For about a month now, we've been talking about how Jesus held his peace on the road to the cross. And today, we're going to look again at the cross and how Jesus held his peace. We're going to look at the peace that we can walk in now and even the peace that we can give away to others because of Resurrection Sunday. But think about this again. Isaiah prophesied that the Prince of Peace would be born and then again, he prophesied that that same Prince of Peace would eventually die, being rejected by his own people. And notice the theme of peace running through Isaiah's prophecy. He said, the punishment of our peace would be on him. Seems like God has a lot to say about peace. 700 years later, all of the things that Isaiah said were going to happen, happened. And there were many other prophecies about the, the birth and the death and the resurrection of Christ, that every single one of them came to pass. But remember, the Easter story is not just about one day. 
It's not just about the 700 years plus before the Easter day. Either the resurrection story extends into the future because Easter resurrection is about God's massive plan for everyone, not just the people who lived before the cross and not just the people who lived in the days when the Bible was being written, but it extends to us. Easter is about Today, Easter is about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, bringing peace to us in 2022 so that we can become people of peace in his name. Amen? So today we're going to walk through that progression of peace coming from the cross all the way to it being our calling as people of peace. So can we begin as we would look at the cross, at Jesus' peace on the cross? Now, I I understand that that Easter might feel like the day where it would be really good. if we Can we just skip over the cross? The cross is done. Let's skip over the pain. Didn't Jesus come so that we wouldn't have any pain? But it's important for us to bear witness to Jesus on the cross so that Jesus off the cross and out of the tomb holds its power. Right, So let's pause here for a moment and look at the peace of Jesus on the cross. Can you just imagine with me for a moment what the cross was like? Do you know that this is, throughout all of history, still historians uh, would say that the way that the Romans would execute people is still one of the most barbaric and painful ways for a person to die? Now that's actually saying something because we've come up with some pretty incredible ways to end people's lives. And God help us for that. But imagine with me for a moment what the cross was like. The cross was not a polished piece of wood like the one that has backlighting behind me. It, it was a splintery, just a, just a stump of, of wood, just a piece of wood, maybe with a crossbar sometimes. Wouldn't even always have a, a full crossbar, like a beautiful design. It certainly didn't have a, a, a nice, lovely piece of cloth hanging over it so it would look good. They didn't care about if it looked good. They didn't even care if it felt good. In fact, that was part of the element of the cross was that this Jesus who had just sustained having his back flogged with open wounds on his back would have a splintery, rugged, gnarly piece of wood rubbing against his back as he was dying on the cross. To, to hold a person onto the cross, they would put nails. We often will say uh, nails through his hands and feet, but the reality is that the nails actually would have gone through his wrist, and they would have been long enough so that they could go through a human wrist and all the way into the woods so that they could hold the weight of a human body onto the cross. And so you get one of those in each of your wrists. The reason that they don't go through your hand is because that part of your hand is loose enough that you could actually tear your hand open so it goes through your wrist so that it holds your weight. You get one of those through each of your hands and then you get a third nail through the tops of both of your feet, sometimes on a platform, straight into the cross. I heard once a scientist was explaining the cross and he said in order to breathe, because of the positioning of your body, if you're being crucified, you actually would have to take your entire weight and push up on the cross. 
And did you know that actually on s- in some occasions, I don't know if this was Jesus' experience or not, but on some occasions, they would actually put a seat here. And you might think that that sounds like a grace, but they would actually put a spike on that seat. So it's not the kind of seat you would actually want to sit on. And so you're either sitting on, on that seat, if there is one that has a spike, or all of your weight is hanging on your hands and on your feet. And just to breathe, you have to open up your lungs enough that you can breathe. Maybe you take a few breaths until your body would give out again and you hang on that cross. And can I tell you, friends, that Jesus bore that pain for you for about six hours before he died? Six hours. Six hours on a cross before he died. What's profound to me and what struck me as I've been thinking about this Easter service and as we've been talking about Jesus, the man who held his peace so that we could be people of peace, is that the Prince of Peace in that moment held his peace. Let me give you a couple of examples. Right before being nailed to the cross in Matthew chapter 27, we see it says, When they came to a place called Golgotha, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. And after crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Just think about this moment. They're about to, they've already flogged him. He's in excruciating pain. They've already mocked him. So he's, he's, he's ashamed. He's been embarrassed. He is, his body is open before, uh, the, before the wood of the cross. And for everyone to see, he is mutilated and embarrassed. And they offer him wine and gall. And, and you might not know this, but it's, it's, it's widely believed that the mixture that they offered him was one of the few acts of mercy that the Roman soldiers would offer to a prisoner because it would deaden your senses. Could you imagine being offered a medication that you could take? We know you're about to go through six hours of excruciating pain, so we're going to give you something that will numb your senses. And Jesus, having tasted it, refused the drink. Having been beaten and bloody and forced to carry a cross up a hill and in one moment forced to watch another person for whom he was dying carry his cross up a hill. Nailed to that cross and offered something to numb his senses and Jesus refused it. That should say something to us about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, wanting to be so present because he knew what he was doing. I don't want this to be meaningless, and I don't want to check out. I am going to be fully present for this redeeming act that I am going to endure for the people that I love. And he spent six hours on a cross feeling all of it. In Luke's gospel in chapter 27, we see right after being nailed to the cross, it says again in Luke's gospel, when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Look, we tend to look at the Roman soldiers that crucified Jesus and we think that they're villains, right? These are, these are the bad guys of the story. Jesus looks at them and says they don't even realize the moment that they're in. They're just a part of a system. I mean, think, think about the, the description of the cross 
that I laid out for you. And that's not even all of the excruciating details of the pain and the suffering that Jesus went through. Think about the last time somebody hurt you physically, emotionally, and how you responded to that. Jesus is literally being executed. And what's on his mind? Forgiveness. Extension of grace and peace. How would you respond? I, I have some thoughts about how I might respond. And yet Jesus responds with grace and with forgiveness and with peace. Jesus was so committed to the purpose of that moment that he asked his father to forgive his executioners. That is profound. While hanging on the cross, we see in Luke chapter 23, it says one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God? Think about this conversation. This man is so angry in his dying that he would, same position as Jesus, are you the Messiah? This is how, this is how twisted he is to, to, to want to ridicule Jesus, right? And the other man is so passionate about wanting to defend and be a part of what Jesus is doing that he, don't you even fear God? He goes on, since you're undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. I wonder how many times he had to lift himself up just to finish that little bit of a monologue. And Jesus said, right, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. For as hard as it was for this man to breathe in this moment, Jesus tells another dying man something redemptive. He, he, he doesn't, he's not so wrapped up in, his, in, in himself. We, we have no idea how long after he had been hung on the cross that he said these words. We don't know when this conversation happened. It could have been an hour in. It could have been three hours in. And yet Jesus lifts himself up. Not to say, dude, could you be quiet? You don't understand the moment. You don't understand what's going on right now. He lifts himself up to say, you get to come with me. You get to experience the peace that this moment is earning for you. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, never lost his peace on the cross. On Easter Sunday, that should mean something for us. In fact, they write about it later on in Scripture. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew what was coming, so he was able to be fully present, fully at peace in the moment, and even extend peace to others while he was dying on the cross because he knew what was coming around the corner. Jesus was constantly on mission and nothing was going to rob him of his peace because he is the Prince of Peace. So he held it on the cross. After six hours of excruciating pain that he was fully present for, Jesus accomplished the mission of paying the price as the sacrifice for our sins. Then he died. And the next thing that we begin to look at on Easter Sunday is the flood. 
the flood of peace that came into the world. Jesus held his peace on the cross, and in the moment that he died, Scripture tells us the veil was torn. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, it says, But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Matthew links this moment that happens next with the very moment that Jesus died. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shaked and rocks were split. And Luke tells it this way. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. Do you understand that when Jesus died, the earth literally shuddered in awareness of the moment that we had just experienced as creation? But notice the significance of the detail here. It says the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. This is a really incredible and important detail. Let's talk about it for just a moment. Can you imagine a curtain, a thick curtain, hanging from the ceiling of this room all the way down uh, here? You're all out there where you're safe. And on the other side of this curtain is the very presence of God. And if any of you decides to peek in, dead immediately. And once a year, maybe a couple of times a year, depending on sacrifices and all that, but once a year you would get to come to Jerusalem and experience that there would be sacrifices made for you to not be judged by God for all of your sinful ways. And part of that process was the priest would go into what's called the Holy of Holies inside the temple with a rope tied around his waist and a bell attached to that rope. And he would go in and he would do all of his priestly duties, which we'll talk about some other Sunday. We don't have time for that now. But he would go in, and if it turned out that he also was not clean and pure and righteous and holy before God, dead. And the bell was to let the people on the outside at the other end of the rope know if you were still alive. If the bell stops dinging, you're dead. We need a new high priest. Next up, hope... For you, that you and God are on good terms. They would, I mean, drag, they would just drag the guy out. You have to get out somehow. This curtain was what separated the holy presence of God in the temple from us. And we could not be in God's presence because of our sin. And when Jesus died, the earth shuddered. And the curtain that separated man from God tore, not from the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom. Because God said, no more of this. And he flooded the world with his presence. He flooded the world with his peace. And he said, because of the work that just happened, was completed on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying the work was finished and the separation is finished. Now God comes with his presence out into the world and we get to live with God in his presence. God tore the veil from the top to the bottom. This is an incredibly significant moment and it represents that the work was accomplished. 
God's flooding the world with his presence and his peace, when sacrifices need, needed to be made in the old co covenant and, and coming into God's presence would result in death, now a new covenant has been established Jesus having already made the sacrifice, which is why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, so then as one trespass, as through one, tre one person's trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. So through Jesus' death, God flooded the world with peace for anyone who would receive it. Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 8, and I really like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. It says, he writes, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. And John 3.16 is the verse that tells us how we get access into that being alive in Christ. Jesus came because God loves the world so much. And it says... Anyone who would believe would not die, but have everlasting life. The veil was torn to flood the world with the presence of God. And your faith is like saying, bring that presence here, God. I'll take some of your peace. Thank you very much. I know I didn't earn it. I know I absolutely don't deserve it. I deserve quite the opposite, in fact. But Jesus dying on the cross is an opportunity for you to say, I'll take it. I want to be at peace with God. Jesus held his peace on the cross and he caused the world to be flooded with the peace of God so that you can be alive in him. This is where the somber moment of thinking about Jesus on the cross turns into a victory because the reality is Jesus rose from the dead, sealing the whole deal so that not only do we have peace with God because the veil was torn, the sacrifice was made, all of the price was paid. We can have peace with God, but we can have everlasting life with God through Jesus because he is alive. And if he's alive, Paul says the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in us so that we can also be alive. This is the story of Easter. This is why we say Easter isn't about the events of one day. Easter is about today. Easter is about tomorrow. Are you alive in Christ? And if you are, then you get eternity of tomorrows for it to be Easter, Resurrection Day for you. But again, remember, we, if the story of Easter is not just about one day, maybe it's not also just about one thing. Maybe the Easter story isn't just about you receiving peace. Maybe it's about something else as well. In fact... I would say that it's about the work of peace after the cross. Jesus, we know, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He now sits in heaven where he makes intercession for the saints. He prays for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, how does it feel to know that the very Son of God himself prays for you by name? After Jesus died, his body was placed in a tomb armed soldiers on guard, no idea what they're doing. 
No idea the historical moment they're in. On the third day, Jesus raises from the dead. And John, in John chapter 20, writes this. The disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. They obviously were not tracking the hashtag of Resurrection Sunday. They did not yet know that Jesus was alive. And they were afraid of what the Jews were going to do to them, maybe similar to what they did to Jesus. And so they locked themselves behind closed doors all together in a room. And it says, Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you. I love the moments in scripture where it just gives this idea that Jesus just like appears suddenly in a room. It's it's pretty fantastic. When I was a kid, I used to imagine this moment, because I'm a nerd, as Jesus being beamed into the room <laughs> like, on, like on Star Trek. Or like on a good episode of Doctor Who. You know, like all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up in his TARDIS called his resurrected body. Where my nerds at? Celebrate this Easter with me. <laughs> I don't know if it was like that. It probably didn't have a cool TARDIS-y noise to it. Honestly, I think that the disciples were probably sulking, licking their emotional wounds, and just all of a sudden Jesus was in the room. There is an implication throughout all four Gospels that the resurrected Jesus just decides, I don't need to use doors anymore. And he just shows up in the room. And here's what he says. Now, okay, think about the moment that you're in if you're a disciple. You're hanging out in a room. You've experienced severe emotional damage. And all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up. There is no sign that any of the disciples said anything in this moment. Just stunned. Stunned. Right? I don't know if you've ever had an experience where someone that you thought was, was dead all of a sudden isn't dead and they just show up in front of you. Right? <laughs> I haven't experienced anything like that. I think the closest thing I can think of is, is a moment where as a parent I thought that one of my kids was lost for a brief moment at an amusement park and then I saw them. Oh, you're alive. But that seems like a ridiculous comparison. Jesus, the guy that you were pretty sure is God, died. And now, I don't know. I'm not so sure anymore. And I'm terrified. I'm scared for my life because this man being dead means I'm next. And suddenly, he's just there And we don't even get a verse, not even from John, who would be the guy who would write this verse to totally throw Peter under the bus. Like, we don't even hear Peter go, where have you been? (laughs) Crying, bro. Nothing. Just stunned. And Jesus' response is, peace be with you. I mean, why do you think Jesus would need to say, peace be with you? If you just walked into a room where maybe peace isn't present. And having said this, he showed them the hands and the side. 
So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus shows up. He gives peace. He gives peace. The work on the cross made peace possible. And he, his first words to his disciples after the resurrection, his first words to these boys, fellas, peace be with you. His last words on the cross, it is finished. The first thing he says to his disciples, peace be with you. You know what he's doing? He's saying, it worked. It worked, guys. I picture Jesus with a big old smile on his face. Peace be with you. Right? And you know what happens? They rejoice. They started going, oh, my goodness, it worked. It worked. It was, he was right. And now the dots start connecting one after another. Oh, my goodness, Jesus told us this was exactly what was going to happen. It worked. We actually have peace. And you know what people with peace can do? They throw a little party. They rejoice when they saw the Lord. But Jesus isn't finished yet. Because right after this, in verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Which I think, in my theory, is that they were starting to lose it a little bit. Maybe get a little, like, Pentecostal. And Jesus is like, guys, Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. Chill out. <laughs> we, got like a, we got like a month to go until that, okay? So he goes, peace be with you. This is Jesus' way of saying, guys, chill, right? It's his way of, like, a preschool teacher just going, I have... I have more to say, okay? So he finally, he gets their attention. He said, peace be with you. I think that the voice of Jesus in his resurrected body probably had like a little extra boom to it, right? So he says, peace be with you. And they go, oh, okay, okay, we're listening. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What an interesting thing to say. He didn't say, don't worry about the Jews. He didn't say, now that I'm here, no one dies anymore. <laughs> he said, go do what I was doing. In fact, Jesus doubles down, doubled, doubles down, doubled down. He said it again in another way. He exemplified, ex there's a word there. Whatever. He made this point stronger again later. He doubled down on it. There it is. Uh, in his final words, I don't have my resurrected body yet. My, my sentences aren't perfect. Give me a break. But at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is about to ascend. Remember we talked about how he ascended to the Father He's seated at the right hand of the Father now, making prayers, intercessions for the saints. And this is the last thing that he says to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. And then he peaced out. <laughs> and about a month later, he sends the Holy Spirit so that he wasn't a liar. 
I am with you always. Now we have the Holy Spirit. But we continue the Easter story when we do what Jesus told us to do. We keep Easter going when we give it away to others. Right? When we take the peace that he came into our chaotic moment, into our hopeless night, into our fear that we were going to be lost or dead, or our absolute conviction that we had ruined our lives, Jesus just shows up in the middle of that moment and said, Peace be with you guys. It worked. It worked. Peace be with you. Now I've got a job for you. Take the story of what I just did for you, and share it with someone else. And we don't have to wait another 365 days until the next Easter moment just for someone to hear the story. Did you know you don't even have to wait seven more days for your friends who don't know Jesus to be brought to the church building just so that they could hear the Easter story? Because it's not just me who got told. It's your job. There has never been a follower of Jesus. We call those people disciples. There has never been a disciple who wasn't given the mandate to go and make disciples. So the work of peace after the cross isn't even really Jesus' job anymore. Because if we say, Jesus, would you continue the work of peace in the world? He would say, read the Bible. I already did my part. Now it's your job. You get to continue the work of Easter. The story isn't just about one day. It's about your life. It's about us making and being disciples. This is the story of Easter. It's about how he offered us peace when we didn't deserve it. When we were scratching and clawing for some kind of semblance of peace with God. And all of the systems didn't work and they didn't last. And then God extends peace to us. And if we would receive it, we will have it for eternity. And then he says, now you go and extend that same peace to others. And we call that making disciples. Okay, so the first question that we have to answer on Easter Sunday is whether or not you're celebrating Easter. The first question we have to ask on Easter is whether or not we are people of peace. Have you placed your faith in this story, in this man who lived a sin-free life, who died as the sacrificial lamb for your sins and rose again so that if you would just place your faith in him, you could have the eternal life that he offers you freely? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Are you living as a disciple? By the way, that's not just about a moment. Paul does write to us that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. But James also tells us that if your faith doesn't have a new kind of living attached to it, then your faith is actually dead. So it's about the prayer that you prayed, but it's also about the life that you are living. So are you a disciple? Are you a carrier of peace? Do you know and live the Easter story? If you can't say yes to that question, can I tell you something that might sound harsh, 
but it's because you are deeply loved. That there is no other way to experience life outside of being a carrier of the peace of Jesus. That Jesus did all of this because he knows that there is no other way. In fact, we are told there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The Easter story is not just one of many stories. It is the only way to gain life. And you might say, well, I'm alive right now. And God's response to that is we're not talking about your physical life. We're talking about eternal life. I have no idea what hell is going to look and feel like. I had some high school students ask me the other day what I think heaven is going to be like. And we had a wonderful conversation about something that we can't possibly know. (laughs) The only way to get there is something I'm not ready to do yet. And when I get there, I'm not coming back to tell them. But, but here's what we talked about at the end of that conversation is that we can have all of these conversations about what we think heaven and hell might actually be like. I believe that they are real places, real experiences. We can have all the conversations, all of the speculative questions and ideas about what we think it will look like. But the, the, the goal of all of those conversations isn't can we figure out what that place will look like. The goal of those conversations is are we living as if that place is real today? Are we living as if that is our destination to go and be with God for eternal life? Are we living like the thief on the cross who mocked the work of Jesus? Or are we living like the one who will use every ounce of our energy to declare Jesus is Lord so that we could hear him say back to us today or whatever is your last day, you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to ask every single person in this room to pray this prayer with me. It's going to be a, I'll say a line and then you say a line after me. And I'm just going to invite you right now, if today is the day that you would say, I need to put my faith in this Jesus, I need to be like the thief on the cross who defended the work of Christ, then you would pray this prayer with me. Everyone in the room is going to say these words, and then you would pray these these words with me, but I want to invite you to pray them also with your heart as well as with your mouth. And today might be the day where you come alive in Christ. So we would say this, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I also believe you died and rose again. And I confess that I have sinned and need new life. So I put my faith in you today. I receive the peace that you offer me, and I thank you for it. Teach me how to live in your peace. Amen. Amen. Look, if you just prayed that prayer with not just your mouth, but also with your heart, then can I just tell you something? You just joined a family. You just came alive and joined a kingdom. And there's something going on in your heart right now. We want to partner with you. We want to celebrate with you. So I just ask, is there anybody feeling like, I want, to, I want to just celebrate right now that God is doing something in my life. And you say, I just prayed that prayer. See a couple of people waving their hands right there. Praise God. Anybody else who would say, today is the day I'm putting my faith in Jesus. 
If you're joining us watching online and you're saying, today, wherever I'm at, today is the day I'm putting my faith in Jesus or I'm coming back home to faith in Jesus, would you just type that in the comments? Just say, today is my day. And we want to celebrate with you as well. And then after service, I'm going to ask Marcus and Liz, they're going to go right over to this wall over here. And Paul and Rhonda, who are right over there, they're going to go to that wall right over there. They're just going to be there ready to pray with you, celebrate with you. You might have some questions like, what do I do now? That's a great question. They'll have good answers for you. And then also, we want to talk about what do we do now? Because the next thing that Jesus tells you to do is get water baptized. Today after service, we're celebrating two people who have made the decision to get water baptized, and I could not be more excited about that. So if you have questions about getting water baptized, this is something Jesus told us to do with new disciples. Teach them all the ways that Jesus told us to live and baptize them in water, which is a public declaration. I am a follower of Jesus, and it's a commitment to be a fellow student of, of Jesus in a local church. We would love to celebrate water baptism with you. If you just say, I'm just so excited about Jesus. I've never been water baptized. I just want to get in the, in the water today and get baptized. You can be like my friend Elijah, who a few years ago just got baptized in a pair of jeans. For the record, I still owe him a pair of jeans. But I'm not giving them to him because I want to keep him around. I'm... <laughs> So if you have questions about being water baptized, you can ask Paul and Rhonda, you can ask Marcus and Liz, you can ask almost every other person in this room. We would love to celebrate with you the decision to be water baptized. But the second question that we really have to answer before we wrap up this moment is not just are you a follower of Jesus, but are you a partner of the peace of Jesus? This is a place for all of us to respond today, this Easter Sunday, to ask the question, not just are you following Jesus as a disciple, but are you partnering with him? This is how important this point is. <laughs> are you partnering with Jesus in making disciples? Will you pray with me right now? Just close your eyes right, right where you're at. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your death, and we thank you for your life. We thank you for the life that you extend to us. And we know, Jesus, that when you gave us peace, you flooded the entire world to give every single one of us an opportunity to receive your peace. And we thank you that we are recipients of your peace. But, Lord, we also know that you told us very clearly that every single one of us as recipients of your peace is also a partner of your peace. And so God, help us. Inspire us. Give us passion for the lost. A heart for those that we know. Maybe those names and faces that are flashing through our mind even right now. Those that we know. Especially those that we know that would never come into a church building on a Sunday because of all of the thoughts that they have about you and about church. And rather than waiting for them to change their mind, God, would you send us so that your peace could change their hearts? Not because we want an opportunity to tell them that they are wrong, but because you want an opportunity to tell them that they are loved. Send us. Can you take one more moment before we move on? And just before God, name those people that have come to your mind that do not walk with Jesus today. These could be people who have never made a decision to be followers of Christ. These could be people that you know that have made a decision but have gone their own way. 
Would you just name those people before God? God, as we name these people, you love them more and better than we ever could. But we ask you, God, that you would give us the words and the courage, the conviction to be the love of Jesus and the peace extended to them. Give us opportunities, God, to share your gospel. And we say that we know today, God, that not only do we put our faith in you, but we also receive your commissioning. This Easter story gets to continue because we will carry the good news to others. Thank you, Lord. And God, I would pray this blessing over my friends, over my, over my family, and over every guest joining us today in this place and online. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May you feel the Lord smiling over your life, offering you his great grace. May you feel seen and loved by God, and may his gaze give you peace. May you enjoy the full and overflowing life that Jesus died and lives to give you. May you be people of peace, fully receiving and freely giving the peace of Jesus in and through everything that you do and say. In Jesus' name, amen.